the Baseball Lifer podcast is on the air. Well, hi everybody, Don Wardlow here on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And coming to you a day early, we're releasing this podcast on Thursday because tomorrow, Friday, May 19th, is going to be the beginning of the Division Three Baseball Regionals. And my old school, Rowan, the profs are in the regional, so I'll be listening to that throughout the weekend. So I wanted to have this broadcast available to you a day early. Our guest is going to be Adam Giardino, who's now with University of Connecticut. He began there as a student back in 2010, and now he makes his living with University of Connecticut as a broadcaster on the commercial side of things. And also, he's got a very unique angle where baseball play-by-play is concerned. We're going to talk about a scholarship program that he began during the pandemic to try and get more diversity among minor league baseball broadcasters. So that's our guest, Adam Giardino, and he'll be with you after a word from our sponsor, Cortland Computer Services. Keep it where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. Courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here. My guest is Adam Giardino, and he is, among other things, the creator of the Black Play-By-Play Fund, which we'll certainly talk to you about, Adam, as the program goes along. First of all, welcome to the program. Don, thank you so much for having me. I know that we'll get into it, but our our overlapping of interests goes back over a decade, and then even more recently, 
the Trenton Thunder. We got to hang out in person a couple of times. So uh, a long time coming for this. I'm excited to join you here today. Well, thank you, Adam. Um, looking back as far as I could in the amount of time I had to work with, the first broadcast I could find of yours was a women's basketball game from 2010. You were on WHUS at that time. Now, before that, um, had you always, like me, I always wanted to be on radio, although at first I wanted to be a country disc jockey, not a baseball broadcaster. You know, for me, it um, it was something that I was turned on to my junior year of high school and something that when I was at that point thinking of going to school for college for um, whatever it may be, I knew that sports was going to be the avenue that I would pursue. So whether that was sports information, whether that was being a writer, being a broadcaster, I just knew that I wanted to work in sports in some capacity. And so uh, I was very fortunate. Junior year of high school, I had um, a couple of teachers, John Layton, Chris Schmidt, who were coaches for soccer and for basketball. And they just looped me in and got me going. And um, I fell in love with it. And then my time at WHUS for student radio, I was involved the first week that I um, that, that I got on campus as a freshman. And I did a top 20 matchup between UConn and South Carolina men's soccer. I did it with the the legendary John Tuitt, and I was hooked. And from there, I was off and running. And as you said, 2010, um, if that was the spring of 2010, that would have been my junior year that you would have tracked down one of those broadcasts. If it was kind of November, December 2010, that was my senior year, which culminated in UConn men's basketball winning a national title in Houston. And here we are 12 years later, and they have done the exact same thing. Yes, they have. Really, I have always followed the women's team. You know, the coach Gina Oriama has always been a favorite of mine. And I'm also a big fan of college baseball because I learned my job by doing college baseball. Did HUS still have any college baseball when you were there? They did, yeah. And um, so I, I remember my my freshman year, it was a Sunday morning, and I had not done a baseball game yet. And I got called up by the senior sports director, Mike Guerrera, and he said, hey, I've got finals to study for for tomorrow, so you need to cover me. And this was on maybe two hours notice. And I was a freshman and I'm thinking, Mike, I also have finals tomorrow, but I didn't say that. I said, okay. And I went down to the old J.O. Christian field and it was, in my mind, it was a double header. Um, and also in my mind, I know for sure that that game or games was against Notre Dame and it was a Notre Dame team that was actually really talented. They had Jeff Samarja on the roster who was more known at that time as a college football wide receiver. They went on to have a big, successful career with the Cubs. They had Golden Tate patrolling center field, and he went on to have a more successful NFL career. And they have a guy who's still hunting down a World Series ring in A.J. Pollock. Um, so it was a really impressive Notre Dame team, and that was a UConn team that was just a year or two away from putting forth a super regional program and everything that Jim Penders has done since. 
Were you able to broadcast any of the UConn baseball games when George Springer was on the team? I don't have all my years straight, so I don't know who was announcing when. Yep, that was absolutely right in the sweet spot um, with Matt Barnes and George Springer and Nick Ahmed and Mike Olt. Let's see, I'm missing a couple of big leaguers. John Andrioli and Scott Oberg. There were six big leaguers on a New England baseball team, which is just unfathomable. And that was a team that, for the first time in program history in a long time, got ranked and hosted a regional. And then the next year, they advanced beyond the regional and made the Supers and lost to, inevitably, the South Carolina Gamecocks, who went undefeated en route to another national title. So they bowed out to a respectable opponent. And yeah, I got to be be part of those runs. Again, my senior year featured a run to the Super Regionals. It featured the 90-game win streak for the women's basketball team. Um, it featured me sleeping on the airport after the loss to Stanford uh, to lose that 90-game win streak because we headed straight from San Francisco down to Glendale, Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl the following day. And then, again, we thought everything was, you know, as a senior, you're thinking, all right, this is good enough for me. And then Campbell Walker decides to lead five wins in five days at the Garden and then six more wins in the tournament. So it was about as charmed a senior year as I could have possibly had as a college student. And that loss by the women to Stanford, I had one of those friends, you know, one of those guys who, and he had to wake me up to tell me, hey, your guys lost, you you come <laughs> women's team. <laughs> I'm usually someone that likes to suffer in silence. So even if I had gotten a phone call done, I probably wouldn't have picked it up that night. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, now, WHUS, which was, I thought they were the gold standard of college radio outside of Syracuse. But now WHUS certainly doesn't do women's basketball, and I don't know if they do any sports at all on 91.7. Yeah, from, from my understanding, and I still work with the university, that a lot of those students, the interest has shifted to TV. So UCTV has grown in ways far beyond what we were experiencing when I was at school from 07 to 2011. Um, so things have shifted and the student interest has shifted more towards television, which is understandable. Um, and I think that back when I was a student, um, that our broadcasts were connected to the video feed. And like I said at the top of this conversation, um, you know, my experience with all these different schools in Harvard and Northeastern and UConn, they're, they've bulked up their, their video streams. Um, and so student broadcasts aren't really a thing anymore. So I don't necessarily blame um, students that are more interested in pursuing stuff at UCTV. I think there are great opportunities there. And I'm, I am hopeful that a new wave of, of aspiring play-by-play broadcasters at UConn will, will reinvigorate because the, the infrastructure is still there at UConn and at WHUS specifically to, to cut your teeth and, and to make a run at a, a career that so far for me has been incredibly fulfilling. Talking to Adam Giardino, and we will get to the creation of the Black play-by-play fund, which you have done. Now, you were luckier than most. You didn't have to, coming out of college, you didn't have to start riding buses in Idaho to (laughs) become a baseball play-by-play broadcaster. Tell me how your career began. Yeah, I 
I, as a junior and a senior, I interned with the Pawtucket Red Sox. They've since become the Worcester Red Sox, but um, the Paw Sox are still, even now in their iteration of the Woo Sox, just the gold standard of, of minor league broadcasting. And they vault so many broadcasters up to the big leagues. Um, most recently, a really good friend of mine, Josh Maurer, who, as we talk about my path through the minors, he and I worked together and lived together in 2013. And Josh is now um, on with the Milwaukee Brewers. And so, you know, for for my path, getting that jump start, not just with UConn baseball, but getting my foot in the door at Pawtucket um, and just being able to learn through osmosis, through Steve Heider, through Dan Horde, who is a Hall of Fame broadcaster at the University of Cincinnati and also with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, really fortunate just to be able to learn secondhand for both of them. You know, I wasn't on air doing games with the Pawsox, but sitting in the booth for 70 home games a season was was a real benefit um, to my to my growth. And from there, I leveraged that into being able to fortunately get hired for the Lakewood Blue Claws number two position on the Jersey Shore and jumped from single A with the Blue Claws to double A with the New York Yankees in Trenton, New Jersey. As mentioned, Josh Maurer was my my broadcast partner and a great person to learn from. And I was super fortunate that he left after one year so that at the age of 23, I was the number one broadcaster for the Yankees double A team. Um, and you need to get breaks like that along the way. And, um, you know, if there was a nationwide search for that number one position, I might not have been hired. Perhaps I wouldn't have been hired. But the fact that I was already there as the number two, I had worked for a season and everybody in the front office liked me, that I was the obvious choice to to move into the number one seat. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I I didn't necessarily have to ride buses in Idaho, but I did ride buses from Trenton to Erie, Pennsylvania and Akron, Ohio and up to Portland, Maine and down to Richmond, Virginia. So plenty of six to eight hour bus rides in my five total years with the Trenton Thunder. Um, and then that vaulted me into AAA for three seasons with Scranton Wilkesbury, the Yankees AAA affiliate. And what Josh may or may not have told you when you were working together in Trenton was that as early as 2005, he was in single A ball with the Charleston River Dogs, and he mm -hmm. replaced uh, yours truly in in the seat in Charleston. And in fact, Josh has the longest. Charleston River Dogs game that I'm aware of under his belt. He did a game that ran either 21 or 22 innings. I can never <laughs> remember. I don't know if Josh ever told you that over a couple of years one night, because that uh, is know, definitely a subject for a good chat. He, I, I'm sure that he complained about it as we all do our war stories, right? Uh, and uh, it just makes me think back to the year after Josh and I, worked together where um, the Trenton Thunder had two 18-inning games within a week, um, which, you know, as people gripe about different rules in Major League Baseball and the rule changes um, in the minors, certainly the runner on second rule uh, to start extra innings, the big impetus is to avoid situations like that where you're calling up guys from rookie ball to double A just because you, you know, you basically played nine games in seven days because of all the extra innings. And you have no pitchers to work with. Correct. Exactly. Now, in a period of six weeks in uh, New Britain, Connecticut, in 1995, 
we did a 19-inning game, a 17, and a 15. And I don't have a problem with that, except we lost all three of them. (laughs) (laughs) And when you're, you know, especially when those games are at home, if any of them were at home, you do have this dream of of thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get to call a walk-off homer in the 18th inning. And at least from my memory, I think for the 18-inning games, one they were both at home, one they lost. And the other one, it was an Aaron Judge sacrifice fly that won it. So a little anticlimactic, but at least Judge was involved. Absolutely. And now the subject I've been teasing from the beginning is the Black Play-By-Play Fund. And Adam Giardino, my guest on the Baseball Lifer podcast with yours truly, Don Wardlow. So tell me how the Black Play-By-Play Fund came to be and tell me about the status of it right now. Yeah, this is a project and a nonprofit organization that has turned into something I'm I'm incredibly passionate about and really fortunate to have been part of in the sense that it was an idea at the time during the pandemic where there were protests for George Floyd and the murder of him. And I'm thinking at that point, okay, so we can go to these rallies and these protests, but I want to affect tangible change in some capacity. And so uh, that's where this came to be. And at the time, there were 160 minor league baseball teams. There was one broadcaster who identified as black. He said he's he identifies as half black. Um, and so percentage wise, you figure 160 team, a lot of them have multiple broadcasters. So you know, 250 broadcasters or so, and and one of them is black. And so why? Why is that? And I think that a point of pride for a lot of us in the industry, and um, it's it's the war stories that we tell about having to live on a pull-out couch or having to live, you know, on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for several seasons. A lot of these romanticized stories that get told whether you're a player or whether you're a broadcaster who eventually makes it to the big leagues and those stories are are awesome in a testament in a lot of ways to the passion someone has in pursuit of this but there's a lot that goes into it where someone you know my first job out of college with Lakewood was six hundred dollars a month um the following season double a New York Yankees, it was $800 a month. And then the following season, it was $1,000 a month as the number one broadcaster in Trenton, New Jersey. And there have to be a certain um, number of fortunate circumstances in your life to be able to afford three years of that. Um, Above and beyond the fact that when I went to Scranton Wilkesbury, I'm in Triple A with the New York Yankees, and my first year with them, I was paid seventeen fifty a month, and that's as a twenty eight year old with seven years of experience. So, uh, all of that is just to say that the entire industry is stacked up against people that don't have a certain safety net um, and come from certain means. And again, during the pandemic, we learned due to rates of infection, due to rates of death rates of hospitalization that by and large it's communities of color that don't have the the generational benefits 
because of our nation's history. And so that's just a really long uh, meandering answer to say that uh, coming up with the idea to, that, all right, uh, we need more diversity in this field. And specifically, we need black voices in broadcasting and play-by-play broadcasting and um, sent out an email to a lot of close friends in the industry and said, hey, we I want to raise $3,000 which is a six month season. We want to give an extra 500 bucks to, you know, uh, basically a, an aspiring black young broadcaster to be able to accept a job that pays them a thousand dollars a month and say, okay, what's, what if it's $1,500 a month instead, it's not going to be a long-term solution, but maybe it patches a hole temporarily. And that's really what we were trying to do. And so instead of when we went live, um, instead of raising $3,000, we raised $25,000 in the first couple of days. And I thought, shoot, okay, we've, we got a good problem on our hands. And that since then, we have distributed over three years, um, $15,000 in scholarship money, we still have over $20,000 in the bank, we're moving slowly and methodically to um, give support and extend all the branches to a lot of people and help them know not just, okay, here's the financial means of a thousand dollar college scholarship or 1500, but to um, show that you have people in the industry that believe in you. Even if these people in the industry that don't look like you, they still believe in what your talent is, what your um, potential is. And in some ways that's just as valuable to having someone that sticks it out an extra year or two, because, Sometimes all you need in the industry is time. And if you you do it long enough, the right job and the right network opens up and um, then you can really cut a career out of it. Something I don't make a point of talking about, I probably will when my book gets written, is that I had such a safety net, if you will, because I am a blind person. I received Mm. money from social security disability income every month. So I didn't need to have X number of dollars in order to survive. So I, I, if, if, you know, it's, I didn't even see it the way you laid it out for me just now, even when I did give you a handful of dollars back when I didn't see it that way. It didn't occur to me, Hey, I had this, this, safety net that so many people do not have now i broadcast on gls i learned my trade there and i'll tell it like it was there wasn't a blind person in the sports department i mean there wasn't a black person i was the only blind person now what did happen two black guys worked with me on different games just into a tape recorder but neither one moved up into the radio station. And I, you know, have never felt that was entirely justified. And I, I felt I should give some money. And, and, and don't I find out that one of the winners was Lloyd Wilson of WGLS-FM in Glassboro? That's absolutely. And he is somebody that... I actually met um, through sports broadcasting camps that I do in the summer. Now that I'm not in minor league baseball and focusing exclusively on college athletic, uh, my summers are open. And as you might have guessed from, uh, you know, the the work that I'm doing 
for the nonprofit that I really do like working with young broadcasters. And so these are middle school and high school kids. And Lloyd worked uh, as a counselor because of he's at the Rowan program at Rowan University, uh, an incredible program that has produced a number of uh, really impressive broadcasters. John Sadak, most notably, um, at least of late, uh, recently, John Sadak getting elevated to the role with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, and Lloyd, his personality, gosh, he, when you think of um, of young broadcasters and things that they have to work on, if Lloyd simply leans into his personality off the mic and corrals it, harnesses it, and and makes it something that uh, is more polished for the air, this is somebody who could really, really get himself to a, a couple of interesting jobs and opportunities because he he is just such a someone who's just so full of life and i'm sure that uh that might that's probably your experience with him as well i believed that before i realized he'd won any money i wrote to you suggesting that he might be a candidate and that's when you <laughs> told me he had won some and i'm yeah. really glad about that and i hope this is a program that can continue i'm talking with the creator of the Black Play-by-Play -play Fund. And if people are listening to the Baseball Lifer podcast, what can they do to help? Yeah, this is um, something where you can just go to Black PXP, so play-by-play, blackpxpfund.com. Um, there's a donate button at the top. If you're just interested in learning about it, just click around and and we have bios on all the different broadcasters um, that we have already given out money to. You can see our board of directors, which includes some luminaries like a Dave Sims, who is a just really one of the, the godfathers of black play-by-play -play in this country. He's with um, the Mariners. He's with the Mariners, the Big East. He does a lot of college basketball on the East Coast during the winter. He is just, um, it seems like each of the last couple of years, He's gone viral within the baseball community on Twitter or whatever social media platform, just based on some, you know, the Mariners making their late season push. And and Dave, there is nobody that has more fun with his own team than than Dave Sims. And for all the right reasons, he's gone viral with some big calls late in, late in the season. Um, Robert Ford is on our board of directors as well. He is the voice of the Houston Astros on radio um, and another black broadcaster. And yeah, we've just had opportunities to connect with a lot of really, really fun people. So go to that website, blackpxpfund.com, learn more, donate. Um, if there's one thing that I've learned on this side of the nonprofit, that really the sometimes the most meaningful donations are when somebody donates $5 because it's just saying, hey, this is what I can give. I see your mission. I see the work you're doing and it's important. Um, so well, we've had a couple of people donate $3,000, um, and that's been incredibly meaningful. The $5 donation from a college student in Iowa that we got when we first launched was really special with the note that he sent along, because I knew that that was what that person could give. And so um, just that's been something that for me, when I see things that I'm maybe not in a position to support financially in some ways, but things that I see where I go, that's a great idea. I do take time now to donate $5 and just those, they not only add up, but they also are such a, a nice way of showing the person on the other side that their mission is seen and that you appreciate what they're working on. 
you got to work last year out at Stanford at the Sunken Diamond. Oh, in, yeah. In the Super Regionals. And was that as high as you'd gotten in baseball? So it Playoff was. Yeah, yeah, we had never. UConn has gone to the Super Regionals twice now. Um, the You know, Omaha remains a an aspiration. And I'm really confident that this UConn program is going to get there. This year, it feels a little hit or miss. UConn entering yesterday, they played number 20 Boston College. UConn's number 15 in the rankings. They're number 16 in the RPI. Pitching just is a little bit of a problem this year. You know, midweek baseball in college can be such a tricky thing. UConn had a a 12-0 lead on the road at Columbia a couple of weeks back on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, and uh, they lost 19-14 to after having a 12-0 lead. So, um, you know, they played Northeastern, a really good team yesterday. UConn lost 12-3. But they're back at it again tonight at Boston. They're back at it again tonight, excuse me, at Boston College. I'm on that game after the game yesterday against Northeastern. And so, I, you know... I'd say that they have time to to change my my gut feeling on things and get those pitching arms in a row and this guy soon becomes a limit for this team but just need to just need to get a couple of arms clicking and uh I think we'll we could be talking about a team that has its sights set on not just a regional but a super and potentially Omaha this year. Last question for Adam Giardino and with UConn now, WHUS, to my knowledge, never broadcast hockey, but you get to do hockey now with a person I admire very much, and that's Bob Joyce. I do, and it is a blast getting to do UConn hockey. They opened a brand new facility this year, the Toscano Family Ice Forum. It is, from a, a player development standpoint, it is one of the absolute gems in college hockey, as you would expect a new you know you open a new arena you expect it to be one of the best in the country and so it is and um you know it it gets incredibly loud some folks are clamoring for more seats in there it's about 25 2800 seats instead of maybe 3500 seats um which would be a good size as well so it's it's an incredible facility and getting to hop on and be part of this uconn program that a year ago was um and not this past season, the year before they lost in overtime in the Big East Championship game or the Hockey East Championship game, excuse me. That that game at the TD Garden was a blast. Um, if they had won, of course, they would have gotten the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, which for college hockey, it's only 16 teams, so it remains an exclusive field. And then this year, UConn ranked as high as five in the pairwise. And really, they were a top 10 program for a long stretch, started 10-1-1 to begin the year. And scuffled, ran out of gas, and finished on the outside looking in yet again. So just as UConn baseball is looking to punch its first ever ticket to Omaha, um, UConn men's ice hockey is looking to punch its first ever NCAA tournament ticket. And if it doesn't happen next year, I would be surprised. I think this is a, a program that is just knocking on the door. They return a ton of talent. They've got a kid in Matthew Wood who is going to be the highest draft pick in program history. Um, he was the youngest player in college hockey last year at 17 years old and still led the team in points, UConn, in points. Um, and if he's not a fifth, top 15 pick in the NHL draft, which is what all the projections have him at, I would be frankly surprised. So um, we're excited for the NHL draft upcoming. Usually NHL teams will draft a kid and then stock him for a year or two, um, especially when he's only 18 years old. So the hope is that 
UConn fans get at least one more year out of Matthew Wood and that they can they can ride him uh, even harder than what they did last year. But this is a Matthew Wood and a great supporting cast that will return for next year. You know and I know the amount of noise a small crowd can make in a small arena. I mean, yes. think about Gamble. How many days did you walk out of Gamble after a women's game with your head ringing? <laughs> exactly. And that's just over 9,000, but... Right. If you get the right 9,000 fans in that place, it, it gets incredibly loud. So, you know, uh, again, it's the there is opportunity to to build in the Toscano family ice form. But for now, they're making it a hot ticket and a hard ticket to get. And they're going to be sold out for the foreseeable future every time they play on campus. We've had a chance to discuss a bunch of sports today on the baseballlifer.com. Little hockey even. Surprise, surprise. Little basketball, a lot of baseball from the man who created the Black Play-By-Play Fund. And I hope that continues to roll. I'd like to see Black broadcasters, even though if you didn't tell me Robert Ford was Black, you never would have heard it from me. Yeah. No, it's it's kind of, that's interesting. And that's something that Robert talks about with a lot of the applicants, about towing the line between uh, gentrified, Identifying your voice versus, uh, you know, being true to your roots. And we have applicants from all over the country, um, you know, from the South and from Robert's from New York City. So he's got, you know, maybe more of that that casual Northeast vibe. But, um, you know, it's, it is it's it's interesting uh, for you, especially to say that where it's OK. Yeah. Robert Ford is a, a black broadcaster and. Um, it's something that these discussions go on behind the scenes all the time. And as a white person in the room, it's really um, it's really fascinating for me to be front and center with these kids and hearing them talk about this with um, not me, not a not a white person, but other people on these Zoom calls, Robert Ford, Dave Sims and and things that, frankly, I wouldn't have had on my radar, if not for being you know front and center, being on these calls with these people talking about all these things that as a white person, I don't wake up and have to think about every day. Adam Giardino, thank you for joining me on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don, thanks so much. Back in a minute with a word about next week's show, if you keep it where you got it. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at CortlandComputerServices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, CortlandComputerServices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast 
and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here. And that was certainly a fun time talking to Adam Giardino. I've listened to him for a lot of years and I've met him when he was with the Trenton Thunder which were the double-A Yankees at that time. Division One, where he is, University of Connecticut, they've still got a couple of weeks of regular season axing to go before they have their regionals, which begin in June, the first Friday of June. Now, we're coming to you a day early because my old school, Rowan, will be in the regional tomorrow, the Division Three regional, and should they win that and go on to the Supers, which would be next Friday, the 26th. We would again come to you on Thursday night, the 25th. If Rowan should win, they would have to defeat Brockport and Arcadia and Susquehanna in order to emerge victorious and go to the Super Regionals, as they did last year, where they lost to Eastern Connecticut. But if they were to win, the next Super Regional would begin on Friday May 26th, so that would make necessary another change to our schedule. We would broadcast this podcast on the 25th. One thing I wanted to mention during the opening, we had a little technical glitch at the time, but it looks like the Mets dodged a bullet. They had drafted Kumar Rocker a couple of years ago, coming out of Vanderbilt, and he looked great at the time. And he didn't pitch well in the College World Series. And then the Mets drafted him. And then somehow they spotted something in his physical. And they did not sign Kumar Rocker. He ended up having some kind of elbow surgery that next offseason. And then he was drafted by the Texas Rangers in 2022. And he didn't sign and couldn't play any games until the beginning of this year. April of 2023 with the Hickory Crawdads. And he came in here. He came into Wilmington, Delaware, to be exact, to play the Blue Rocks. And he was dominant in a couple of starts against them. But now, only about five or six starts into his career, Kumar Rocker needs Tommy John surgery. I don't know what kind of elbow surgery he had. But apparently it wasn't Tommy John surgery because that's what he's looking at right now. And even if he got that done relatively soon, he would not only miss the rest of 2023, but a great percentage of the 2024 baseball season. So hard news for Kumar Rocker, who was drafted by the Rangers after the Mets took a pass on him back in 2021. Next week on the Baseball Lifer podcast, you'll be able to hear from another voice of the University of Connecticut, a guy named Chris Jones. He's been, again, broadcasting for them first as a student on their college station. And since then, he's done some pro ball and he works at the University of Connecticut as today's guest, Adam Giordino, does. So Chris Jones is who you'll hear from next week if you join us again on the Baseball Lifer podcast. This is Don Wardlow. Have a good week. (laughs) 